Hi, welcome back to Excited, episode 159. My name is Arvin. Joining me as always, my colleague from PensionPlanPuppets.com. It's actually Nafulaman. Hi, everybody. How are you doing, Fuleman? Not too bad. Yourself? I'm doing well. Um, and the Leafs are also doing well. They had a, a shootout loss to the Wild last night, but prior to that, they had won, I don't know, like 14 of 16 or something kind of absurd like that. We said early on with the Panthers' really hot start that, oh man, it's going to be tough for the Leafs to come back, even if the Panthers just play normally, because it's hard to win that many games in the NHL. But the Leafs have kind of clawed back that deficit, right? The Panthers are still ahead on points percentage. Um, mm-hmm. They're one point ahead with a game in hand. But that's a very, you know, overcomable uh, deficit over the course of a season. And, you know, on the whole, it's been very hard to, to quibble with what the Leafs have done over the past month almost at this point. Yeah, we're so accustomed to being kind of cautious and pessimistic and keeping an eye on the playoffs, obviously, that it can be easy to lose sight when the team is just playing well for an extended period, as they've now done. You know, it's not nothing to put up five weeks, basically, of really good results, both in underlying metrics and just in games one. Uh, So we thought we would talk about a few positive things today, because how often do the Leafs give us really good opportunities to be positive for an extended stretch. Yeah, We might as exactly. well take advantage. Um, yeah, it, it, it's good to enjoy the ride, I guess, for, from here. The, mm-hmm. the reality is, you know, as well as the Leafs have played, and this is the one, I guess, sort of negative thing I'll say, and the rest will be all positive, I promise. <laughs> the, as good as the Leafs have played, you look at their round one matchup right now, it's Tampa. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> so it's like, okay, cool, here's your award. Two-time defending <laughs> cup champs. Um, and, I mean, of course, no Leafs fan and no fan of any team will, like, realistically say, oh, that's, the, you know, even if we do outperform Tampa over the course of the season, no one's going to think uh, we're significant favorites or maybe even that we're favorites at all, especially since they're going to be getting Kucherov back, as, as usual. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because that's just what they do. Yeah, I, I mean, look, you know, you're seeing it now. There are some Leaf fans who have started to get some of their mojo back, and they've been saying, hey, look at all these league-wide power rankings that have the Leafs in, like, 8th to 12th. And, you know, they're putting us behind the New York Rangers and stuff like that, where it's like, if this weren't the Leafs and they hadn't bombed out in the playoffs, you would 100% not be doing that. This is about history. And, you know, I get it. No one's going to trust them until they do it. So that's the reality that they're living with. But at the same time, we can note they're kind of doing what they can. Mm-hmm. Um. So we thought we would talk about a couple of expressions of that doing what they can. And the first one is John Tavares. Yes. And in particular, the fact that he's been just very good uh, this, mm. this season. And that is important to us for, I mean, it, I, I feel like I'm not exactly breaking huge news here by saying that it's important when a guy you pay $11 million to is, you know, playing well. But... There was, I think, real concern about John Tavares coming into this season. Uh, he had come off two prior years where he was still quite strong, but seemed to be a step down from his peak, certainly a step down from his first year in Toronto, where uh, he played with, uh, with Marner and kind of lit everything up. And then, of course, with that really terrifying injury in the playoffs, that compounded fears, where this was, you know, how is he going to respond to that because you know injuries do have both a mental and physical impact on players and it's always unclear when you have any sort of injury much less a really traumatic one such as that or one that seemed very traumatic at the time um, about how someone's going to respond. Tavares has been really strong this year now there is definitely some part of it that is um, a little bit you know he's on the positive side of variance his individual points percentage is like 90 percent and throughout his career He's, he's maxed out in, like, 70s to 80s, right? Um, so that'll probably come down. But there's also some just generally very positive signs. He's shooting more than he has uh, since in any year since his first Toronto year. His individual uh, expected goals are higher than actually they're the highest uh, at any point of his career. His um, shot rate is uh, the highest that it's been in, uh, in some time. So all of those are, are good indications that the offensive game is still there. And, I mean, beyond the, the, on, beyond the individual numbers, his on-ice numbers are comfortably strong again, mm-hmm. right? And, and he, we, we've seen him with, uh, with Nylander 
uh, a fair bit over the past um, seasons or so. And we know that that combination works and it's been working again this year, right? So it's, it, that's always very important to, to check and to, to make sure is, is going well. Um, we, we need that pairing to essentially form another first line, right? That's the, we've talked about this many times. That's the theory of how the Leafs succeed is they have essentially two first lines. And, mm-hmm. and it doesn't matter the order in which you put them, but they need to both basically be operating at, you know, top 10 lines in the league type of territory. With Tavares and uh, Nylander right now, they currently have like a 54% Corsi, which is good, not great, but their expected goals is like 58%, mm-hmm. which is just phenomenal. Yeah, like that's low-end Bergeron line territory, to be mm-hmm. honest. Yes. Um, and, and, you know, th- that's incredible. They had some early defensive struggles, it seemed like. Yeah, I would that say... were they, mostly tied to Muzzin and Hall, I thought. Yeah, and that was Tavares and Marner, specifically, mm-hmm. um, who who had that. I remember we flagged it early on. It's like, that's something to just monitor, because the defensive results haven't really been there for that grouping. Um, since it's been Tavares, Nylander, the defensive results have been fine enough, given how, how strong the offense is. Now, I wonder if that's... So, in terms of like the, the competition that uh, Tavares, Nylander play, I'm, I'm curious if maybe they're getting slightly nicer matchups with, with Kampf uh, taking on a bit more of the burden and Matthews uh, having more of the top-end burden than, than Tavares does. But in, in any case, it, it's still good to see. Yeah, very encouraging stuff. They seem to form a good line between uh, Alex Kerfoot, uh, Tavares, and Nylander, and it makes a lot of sense in theory, you know, just in terms of what they can do. One, Tavares can really add pretty much anything to any other combination of two forwards. Like, he's so versatile that he will produce stuff in some fashion with almost anybody. But with Nylander being such a strong transition player and with Kerfoot being... Very good in the complementary sense, like another kind of fills-in-the-gaps player. Um, I think you can see a lot of sort of, uh, oh god, synergy, to use a horrible corporate buzzword, um, but between the players and the line. For the longest time, I've kind of thought that Matthews, Nylander, and Tavares Marner were sneakily, maybe slightly better combinations. I'm starting to have to concede I might just not be right about that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, you know, Matthews and Marner are obviously working exceptionally well, and Tavares Nylander seem to have settled in. So, you know, at, at this point, it ain't broke. You definitely don't want to go around fixing it. Yeah. I'm actually just looking at the results of Tavares and Nylander with Muzzin. It's not that many minutes. It's 60 minutes. Mm-hmm. But the defense has still been bad with Muzzin there. And, mm-hmm. I mean, look, it's 60 minutes. That's a tiny, tiny sample. Yeah. yeah. Right? Um, so I don't want to read too much into that or anything, but... It's the, Muzzin and Hall remain the, the the biggest issue, I would say, with the with the team. Yeah, you know, if you're just kind of looking at this from this big macro GM perspective that we slip into all the time, maybe the biggest takeaway from the early season is the number one thing you would want to upgrade at the trade deadline has gone from left wing slash third line center to probably your second pair defense again. Uh, Muzzin and Hall just don't look like they once did. I don't think Hall has covered himself in glory, but to be honest, I feel like it's just... Jake Muzzin doesn't seem like himself to me. Mm -hmm. He's making plays that I just didn't see him make before, and I'm kind of taken aback just because I know, obviously, he's in that range where he's aging, where he can be expected to have physical decline, but normally your brain kind of sticks with it. Speaking of Jason Spezza, who had a terrific night last night, who mm. was 38 and still clearly thinks the game very well. Jake Muzzin is just making bad choices in a way that's very opposite to how he looked for the last two years when he was the steadiest guy in the Leafs defense corps. I don't know what's going on there. Yeah. Um, so I might I mean, have derailed the optimistic segment, but... <laughs> <laughs> no, but it, it, it's worth... I guess, in that sense, we're, we're viewing... You know, so uh, Tavares and Nylander have played like 160 minutes together or something like that. And mm-hmm. best I can tell, like around 60 minutes, of, 65 minutes of that has been Riley Brody. About 60 minutes of that has been um, 
Muzzin Hall and 40 minutes of that have, have has been Sandine. Mm-hmm. And the numbers with either Riley, the Riley-Brody uh, pairing or um, Sandine, Lowy Grinch, last Sandine, Derbit have been just kind of eye-popping, mm-hmm. right? So um, in particular, the, 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 the minutes with the third pair. And you could imagine those are probably fairly, more fairly sheltered minutes. Um, but that, that's fine. Like, I, I think Katya has this point, like we view sheltering as some sort of character flaw. And it isn't really. It's just like they're easier minutes and you have to clean up when you have them which they very much are. Mm-hmm. This actually touches on something, and I'm freelancing a little bit here, but I've been thinking about it more and more. Sheldon Keefe seems to be really prioritizing zone starts to me. And zone starts are a little bit passe in current hockey analysis. Like, there was a, a study I remember quite some time ago that basically said, outside of maybe the very extreme cases at either end. It's not that huge a deal. But the Leafs seem to think that it is, and David Kampf is taking a lot of these own draws. And several color commentators have pointed out that frees up John Tavares to spend more time taking offensive zone draws, presumably. You know, you, you put him out there more. We have some reason to believe that difference is probably not that pronounced, but I do see the Leafs making a point of it. Mm-hmm. I do wonder if, do they think it's worth more and are they right? I don't know. But I think that that's certainly a factor in Tavares' usage. Um, he, he's being deployed more offensively, as he ought to be. He's he's done defensive work in Toronto before because we've kind of needed him to and he's capable of it. But in the end, he's an offensive center. Yeah. So, yeah, th- that's sort of just something to keep an eye on. Uh, in terms of how this team sets up and in terms of maximizing the use you get out of them. You know, David Kampf is never going to score for you very much, so you do want to load him down with defensive work while giving Tavares these opportunities that he's cashing in on. Yeah, exactly. It's it's like the, there's an asymmetry in how each of them can handle that usage, right? Mm-hmm. So you want to take advantage of that. Um, yeah, no, that's, it's, it's, that's very, it's a, it's a very good point. Going forward, what we want to see from Tavares more is like, you know, in, in a playoff series against strong competition, they're going to have to match up relatively more against um, higher-end competition, right? Like, they'll, they'll have to go up against a, point, a line that, uh, probably not point Kucherov, that'll, that'll kind of go to Matthews and, and Kampf to some extent, but they'll have to, you know, deal with lines with other really strong players, right? So... I would like to see their results with Muzzin with that second pair uh, improve. Like right now, they're kind of heavily underwater. Mm-hmm. Um, and whether we think that's that's related to, to Muzzin or not it is, you know, we, we, we need Tavares to, to continue his, his strong play there and hopefully uh, boost that up as well. So the the overall strong numbers aren't uh, aren't propped up primarily due to the time he spends, the time we find advantages against him against weaker competition, because that's going to evaporate to some extent in the playoffs. And I imagine, you know, third pair time on ice is probably going to go down a little bit in the playoffs too. Yeah. I mean, it's the same thing. You see some of this in the NBA where there's a very distinct uh, shit getting real factor in the Mm -hmm. playoffs where bad teams are gone. Good teams are playing their best players more. um, And opposing teams have more opportunity to key on you, you know, for a random Tuesday night against Pittsburgh, you may not strain yourself changing strategy that deeply. For a seven-game series, you're going to be saying, okay, can we pressure Justin Hall? Can we make a point of really trying to tailor our strategy to the weaknesses of this team? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, we've talked a million times about the basic premise of the Leafs is we're going to have two top lines that are going to play most of the minutes available together. And they're going to win them, both of them. So, yeah, the fact that Johnny T is delivering puts us on that road. Mm-hmm. Very much so. Um, I guess the next person we wanted to discuss, let's say you wanted to discuss, because you've been a big <laughs> fanboy of him, is um, Mr. Michael Bunting. You know, I'm not saying that people from Scarborough are just better people. <laughs> 
But I think that the thesis is out there. You know what? I actually, I said that on Twitter and someone kind of jumped on me. It was like, well, what about Paul Bernardo? And I was like, wow, <laughs> was, I didn't ask for this. Yeah. So obviously there are exceptions. Jesus Christ. Anyway. Um, <laughs> That's ridiculous. Like, That's pretty no one ridiculous. has gone zero to a hundred in the replies on me that hard ever. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that was, that was too much. That was really, anyway, that was dark. But Michael Bunting is terrific. Um, he's been everything we could reasonably have hoped of him. And I think that, you know, Kyle Dubas, the way that he's built this team, he needs to make these kind of bets and he needs to win a certain percentage of them. The Nick Ritchie bet, which is unfortunately more expensive, hasn't been going so well so far. Yeah. And I mean, part of that is also Ritchie's just gotten a little... He's gotten very unlucky, but I, I think even if you give him like normal luck, he's not an unequivocal win at two point five million. Yeah, like it was a bit. I think honestly, the Nick Ritchie thing is, they were hoping for a fit thing for reasons that made a lot of sense. It's like this guy goes to the front of the net, he can finish plays. We're not asking him to carry a whole line here. We're going to put him with say Matthews and Marner, but he'll get to the areas that teams like the Montreal Canadiens tend to box out. Um, and it didn't really work out to the extent that anyone was hoping, partly bad luck, partly just Nick Ritchie hasn't had that kind of added value, but you're seeing something with Michael Bunting where, yes, he's in a good position. Obviously he's not driving that line, but he's filling in the gaps and doing things for them that make them more successful. And that's drawing penalties, which is great. Although... Drawing penalties has a way of evaporating as the refs tend to figure out that it's you, I feel like. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe I'm just thinking of Naz, but... Um, and he's just sort of a, a provocateur, and he's also been finishing at a decent rate. He would actually be sort of in the running for the Calder Trophy, because he's eligible for it, insanely. But one, Lucas Raymond looks like he's starting to run away with it, and mm-hmm. two, they're not going to give it to a guy who's 26, even if he's eligible, I don't think. But, yeah, I feel like someone would have to put up like a a Panera level year. Yeah. Like it, it would have to be to the point where it's like, okay, obviously this is the best player and they are eligible. If there's any doubt, it's, you know, it's going to go the other way. And I, you know, Bunting is a, a third guy on that line, obviously. Yeah. Well, and like, as it relates to the calendar, so I'm pretty sure the calendar doesn't say like who had the most impressive year of rookies. So like age shouldn't be a factor. Like in, in principle, a 21 year old rookie and a 19 year old rookie. If the 19 year old rookie has a similar year, you, the 19-year-old had the more impressive season, and it's like it's more likely that they become a better player in some sense. The counter doesn't usually account for that, but I think there is some nice idea to it, like reflecting young upcoming stars, which Michael Bunting is not. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I I have to admit, you know, this is probably his peak is as good as it's going to get for him, but he's been everything we could have hoped really to the point yes. where it's like, you're not worrying about first line left wing and guys like, um, you know, Zach Hyman, there's been this weird thing going on where first of all, Zach Hyman started going off gangbusters and everyone was like, Oh, Toronto didn't appreciate Zach Hyman, which is not a thing that I ever experienced. Yeah. <laughs> and then now he's cooled off of it. And then we were like, well, a bunting's making a lot less than Zach Hyman and putting up comparable results. It's like, I think, we're all clear here. Hyman's a better player. Yes, that seems obvious. And to also, me. Hyman's a better player like this season. So like the the, the Leafs yeah. didn't not sign Hyman because they were worried he would fall off a cliff. Now, yeah, like <laughs> that's the thing is that it's a seven year deal, and I think they said okay, he will be good for some of this, possibly four or five years of this, and then maybe there's downside risk. And you can still say, look, they should have been more aggressive. But what this is is. They got a guy named Michael Bunting, who's less than a fifth of the salary of Zach Hyman, who was doing a not totally dissimilar job. He's not as good, but he's a budget choice. And mm-hmm. when you can get someone who's mostly as effective in that kind of supporting role for a fifth as much money, you probably take it and spend the money elsewhere. Yeah. On Nick Rich. <laughs> <laughs> All according to plan. Yeah, it's just generally speaking, what you're looking for with someone like Bunting is just don't be a, just don't like clog up 
the, the gears of the Matthews Marner pairing or whatever pairing you're, you happen to be part of. Right. Yeah. And he is very much not clogged up those gears. So no, no real issues from, from that point of view. His, yeah. his, his overall, like, I mean, more than that, his, his point rate is like pretty absurd. It's like, same as Alexander Barkov's, higher than Steven Stamkos. It's like second on the team, I'm pretty sure, behind Tavares. Yeah, right. Well, you have to consider, is he as good as Alexander Barkov? I think the evidence is yes. Yeah, and <laughs> <laughs> clearly. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, you probably, you being the audience of Back to Excited, you know, who are very intelligent and beautiful and all those sorts of things, you probably don't need me to tell you that there is a healthy dose of you know, on ice shooting percentage helping him out. There's a healthy dose of individual points percentage helping him out, where he's he's at operating about like ninety percent on ice or sorry, individual point percentage similar to Tavares. Um, but that's all right, right? Like that is that that's fine. He you know that's still value he's he's provided for for this. So that that's very helpful and he, you know I think encouragingly, I t- I talk about this a lot. Um, his shot generation is good. That's what you, he's not entirely a passenger on that line. He is getting to positions where he can take advantage of the skill sets, you know, the, the more advanced skill sets of the other players who he plays with. And, you know, his uh, individual expected goal rate is very, very high, actually. It's, it's like, um, I can, it's fourth in the league. Yeah, I, I mean, like, he's doing everything you can reasonably expect of him. Yeah. Hilariously, um, so he's fourth in the league. Can you guess who... So, Leafs players actually com- comprise of three of the top four. Can you guess yeah. who the two Leafs players in the, who, who top the individual expected goals uh, per 60, um, I guess, lists are? One, okay. is, one is obvious, one is not. Of the Leafs? Yeah. Okay, I'll say Tavares. He's very slightly below. He's like 10th. Oh, okay. So Matthews. Yes. Andre Kasha? No. Oh, who is it? Wayne Simmons. Oh, yeah, baby. All right. People from Scarborough, I'm telling you. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so. And, and really, we actually, we should, we're, Simmons wasn't someone who we were going to talk about here, but we should also talk about him as like maybe the most, at least for me, unexpected, uh, ex- unexpectedly strong contributor. I was quite negative on the signing last year. Mm was kind of validated by a relatively poor year from Simmons. I was quite negative on re-signing him this year. Um, and so far, I've been eating crow and very happy to do so. Yeah, like, he's been good. And he just... All he needed to do was recapture a bit of that form. And before we signed, or when we signed Simmons the first time, we were talking about things in the context of, like, his long, nagging injuries that he played through to some extent. But that clearly had attenuated his effectiveness. Mm-hmm. And we were thinking, okay, he's had 10 months off. Maybe this will be a chance for him to finally start getting things back. And he he was at least scoring a bit, got injured again, kind of had a, had a rough t- uh, period towards the end of the year. He's come back this year, and he's looked rejuvenated. Not to the point where he's back to being um, a star top-line winger, which he once was, but to the point where he's now extremely effective in the role he's asked to play. Yeah, and that, that fourth line with... Um... Simmons and Spezza, like it, it's it's doing what it needs to do for the most part. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I I've got to say I underestimated how much he had left in the tank. You know, it's a good reminder that however a guy does in a given season is not necessarily who he is. Yeah, there's or what he's capable of. You know, we sure. shouldn't be too confident. Yeah, in, uh, in those projections, but yeah, I, I mean, it's it's made it's gotten to the point where. With Ilya Mikheyev probably coming back soon. The only real question is who do you shuffle out for him? And it's either Richie, which seems a bit iffy based on salary, or Pierre Engvall. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, you're certainly not touching Wayne Simmons No, at this point. And yeah, with Simmons and Spezza in 165 minutes or so, um, the Leafs have scored seven actual goals and given up three. You take that from your fourth line all day, and then by expected goals, um, they've scored 10 and given up uh, 7.6. So, like, not as much of a margin. But mm-hmm. still, if your fourth line is contributing goals, you are very, very happy. Yeah. Like, basically what's been happening is the Leafs have put together a top six that can all win its minutes, a fourth line that can narrowly outscore its competition, even though obviously that's more prone to variance. And then a third line that has been good at making nothing happen. Mm-hmm. 
that's basically what they had planned. So it's delivered. And yet, you know, I'd say that's, uh, that's really about as good as we could have expected. Like, the bunting bet looks right now like it's working out as well as we could have hoped. And I don't want to get yeah. carried away because it's not like he has the job for life now. <laughs> if he has a rough six or seven games, someone else will be getting an opportunity there again. But right now, he's made it so there's no real reason to try anyone else. And as long as this keeps working, no one's going to take his job. Yeah. And so. really, I think like the, 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 the main thing with, with Bunting, as long as that line keeps going, even if he's not personally scoring, it, I think that's kind of the primary, the primary case. Like Bunting has like, actually quite a few points. Right, he has like mm-hmm. 15 points in 25 games, which is obviously very healthy production. Yeah. Um, but it's like I don't even care so much about his points specifically, as well as as long as the line is doing all right and doing you know not more than all right is it you know a top line while he's um, while he's on there. Yeah, it, this was um, sort of the case with Zach Hyman early on, where he didn't always have the greatest production mostly because his finishing was pretty bad. Mm-hmm. You know, the early days of Zach Hyman were him kind of whacking at the puck and it not going in, but every line he was on did well. And the credit for that mostly went to other people, but he also contributed. Yeah. Um, again, if Mike Bunting is part of lines that, that do well, then this is what we get. We're pretty happy. Exactly. And I'm sure Bunting is quite happy too, because his time on ice was like creeping down a little bit as, when when like Richie and Kerfoot were operate operating in the top two left wing spots, so mm-hmm. there's like a, a clear kind of bifurcation uh, of how many minutes you play when you play with one of the top two lines, or if you play with like Spezza and Simmons. Yeah, exactly. It's just a very different thing, and so yeah, hang on to that that opportunity for dear life. Mm-hmm. Um, I I mean the number one thing that has been a clear core strength of the team that maybe wasn't expected is Jack Campbell. Yes. Um, He's been unbelievable. He has been just phenomenal. Uh, it, it's, and it goes without saying, like you have a successful team, and with few exceptions, with behind every successful team, you can point to a goalie who is at least you know, average or better. Mm-hmm. Campbell has been way, way, way above average this year. Yeah. So, right. uh, Sorry, go ahead. No, I mean, it, it's... In, in a sense, there isn't, there isn't so much to say because we're not really great um, goalie analysts or anything like that. But, you know, he's second in the league in goal saved above expectation um, behind Shesterkin ahead of Freddie Anderson, uh, interestingly enough. But, like, yeah, he's, he's in the Vesna conversation right now. He's also played more games and minutes than, than other people in, in, this, in this bracket. I would say... Absolutely, and I don't think I'm being a huge homer here. I think he ought to win the Vesna if it were being awarded today. Mm-hmm. I really do believe that. I mean, Jacob Markstrom has looked terrific, and he seems to be the consensus front runner. But I'm thinking he plays behind a Daryl Sutter team. <laughs> that, that's always going to be in the back of my head. But mm-hmm. still, however you put it, um, Campbell has looked good to me now. And this is going to be the punchline of. I don't know how to evaluate goalies, but to my eye test, he actually looked like he was exceptionally good at getting some part of him in front of nearly every puck that came within sight. Mm-hmm. He was very good, very responsive. Sometimes it seemed to me like his rebound control wasn't the greatest, and that was the only weakness I could see. And the Leafs were being very assiduous at jumping on those rebounds and clearing them away before anything became of them. And even though the Leafs are still kind of a middling defensive team kind of ho-hum that was one thing they made a priority of and with him taking care of seemingly everything else it worked now here's the thing money puck says that he actually is giving up slightly fewer rebounds than you would expect from Mm -hmm. the shots that he gets and he's freezing the puck way more than you would expect that he would be able to which is good because if you freeze the puck you're not giving up a rebound Mm -hmm. so it's possible it's just my eye um it's worth noting he was almost exactly unexpected last year in these numbers. So him blowing them out of the water is kind of a recent development. Yeah. And I don't but, know how persistent yeah. these are. Right. And how, how subject to variance they are. Yeah. And that's the, the other thing with goalies, you know, before this year, I made fun of the flyers for going into the season with a tandem of Carter Hart and Martin Jones, both of whom were coming off awful, awful, awful seasons. Jones <laughs> coming off several and they've been really good. 
Sergei Bobrovsky, after being a punchline for a couple years, is now back to being a top five goalie in the world. You don't know what's going to happen, but you can say Campbell has performed at that level and has at least given us some reason to hope that he can hang around there. Yeah. And again, like this, if you, <clears throat> we look at any other team where, you know, Jack Campbell's NHL track record now, I mean, this is certainly better than what he, he has done prior, but his overall NHL track record is genuinely pretty decent now, and we're getting larger and larger sample sizes of that. Yeah. Right? Like it's accumulating evidence. And people reference him being a first-round pick, and I'm like, okay, that was a long time ago. It's like 11 years ago at this point, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, so I don't know how much that still matters, but there's always been something there. That's about yeah, clear. Like, and ever since he got to the Leafs in particular, he's been comfortably above average. He had, he he was definitely a bit rough with the with the Kings at times. Yeah. Uh, but I think, you know, you look at his body of work now and it, it's it's still small. It's spread out over like eight seasons, but it's it's mm-hmm. still very small. Um but you get a bit more confidence and a bit more confidence and you would look at any other team that has a goalie who appears to be good with with numbers like the Leafs have in their uh, on-ice metrics, and you would think this is just a really, really good hockey team. Yeah, and sometimes that's simple. I mean, you know, in their last 18 games, they're what, like 15-2-1, and one, mm-hmm. I believe it is, coming out of that loss to Minnesota in the shootout. Look, that's President's Trophy pace. And for what it's worth, Hockey Viz has them projected to win the President's Trophy right now. Mm-hmm. comfortably at that <laughs> which is still very hard for me to accept or to, to even wrap my head around and they are in tight competition with a lot of teams currently yeah like said you know they're behind florida for example but this team has been playing at an exceptional level and all anyone can think is well will they do it in the playoffs well will they do it in the playoffs in the end you know it's like we don't know and eventually that's gonna have to be decided but Maybe it's time to stop and smell the roses a little bit because they've been playing out of their minds. <laughs> like, it's been really impressive. Yeah. Um, yeah, big time. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, this is a a fairly cheerful podcast. The, the loss against Minnesota last night doesn't bother me at all. Um, you know, they were missing Mitch Marner to, a, thankfully, what sounds like a very precautionary reason. Right. He's not playing tonight in Winnipeg either. Yeah. They, they said, we're going to wait until we get home and let, every, let the... Uh, the doctors, I guess, have a look at him, but we think he's going to be 100% fine. So mm-hmm. let's hope that's all it is. Um, Mitch Marner is important to this team, <laughs> you know. Um, but yeah, like it's, they're they're doing quite well, it seems like. So they won't sustain this pace forever because if they do, they're like a you know the dynasty halves or something. And just because I doubt Jack Campbell is going to be this good all year long, because again, that'd be crazy. But they're playing exceptionally well. So, yeah. Um, we didn't really have a bad take of the week. We had a thought-provoking take of the week. Yeah, we decided yeah. to look at. Yes, exactly. Um, yeah, so definitely want to soften this and not say... It, it's, it's, not, it's not, I think, a, a unequivocally awful take by, by any means. Um, yeah. I think usually... We, what we've had a hard time with in bad takes is like, have, finding the combination of like not just making fun of some dude with 10 Twitter followers who says something dumb because like mm-hmm. that's a lot of people frankly and also like varying up the target so we're not just making fun of Eric, du- Eric Duhatchik all the time <laughs> <laughs> the thing about Eric Duhatchik is that he's like and it's, it's weird how pristine he is at this he's a perfect NHL reporter for 1988 mm. <laughs> like it's just like he does a good job you know he he talks to his sources, you know, he, he works in the opinion and stuff. And it's just, it's very like a time capsule. Mm. There's just no evidence anything has happened in the last 30 years. Yeah. So, anyway. So, this, um, Justin Bourne had a piece for, for Sportsnet um, that the crux of it, I'm putting it up now, but the crux of it is that um, how Austin Matthews' shift in play style raises his ceiling on postseason success. Um, and the, the primary argument is that 
Matthews, as you you know, you may have noticed, has been scoring a lot of goals, a lot of his goals proportionally from the area very close to the net, um, more so than in years past. Right, We're, Matthews has always been kind of a goal mouth uh, artist, and his, more importantly, teams when he's on the ice tend to generate a lot of shots from in tight. But Matthews also supplements that with the ability to score from distance. Right, and he's a true, he's a unicorn in that. I think I can think of very few players, maybe no players, who do exactly what he does in, in that regard. Guys like um, Dreisaitl and Ovechkin, who are similarly talented uh, goal scorers, tend to do... To, they, they have like comparable shots from distance, historically, or, or even better shots from distance, but generally don't create the exact same sort of volume that Matthew does from in tight. Um, but... What Bourne argues, effectively, is that Matthews is, is focusing more on this area of the ice, and that's why he's scoring more of his goals there. And that's something that is going to pay dividends in playoff time, where um, a lot of goals appear to be, you know, kind of those greasy goal mouth goals where it's not fancy, it's not a stunning shot necessarily, it's just getting yourself in the right position, capitalizing on loose pucks that are there, tipping pucks, that sort of thing. Right? So... It's it's a very natural thought when you see Matthews's um, where he scored his goals from this season, but I think it's not entirely supported by his actual behavior during the course of this season, right? So, when we chatted about that yesterday, do you want to maybe briefly mention what we discussed? Right. So we were looking at this and where the goals have gone in from does seem to be closer than that, as we've said. And he had a vintage JVR-style goal um, earlier this week that really stuck out in my mind. And I wouldn't be surprised if that was kind of the dominant image that helped inspire this kind of thinking. Um, and again, you know, Bourne's an astute observer. If he says mm-hmm. something, I take it seriously that he's seeing it. He, he's got a much better trend to eye than, than I do. But looking at it, it did seem as if Matthews was shooting almost exactly the same as he has last year. It's yeah. just gone in a few more times. And you did, uh, we believe in research standards here at Back to Excited. So Arvin set up a double blind test for me, <laughs> or uh, just a blind comparison where he showed me Matthews heat maps unlabeled from last year and this year. And he said, which one do you think is this year? And I couldn't tell them apart. Yeah, they were remarkably similar. And these are from Hockey Biz. Um, yeah. So when you look at where he's taking his shots from, it's very, very hard to pick a difference between where he's taking his shots from last year versus, um, versus this year. And when you look at the kind of the aggregate numbers, his shot rate has actually gone up a little bit from this year. His individual expected goals has gone up a little bit compared to last year. His XG per shot is down very slightly, almost imperceptibly, from 10.3% to 9.9%, which is, I think, well within the margin of error of just like recording bias effectively mm-hmm. right um so you know the generally speaking i think it's it, certainly if you, if you did like a, a, a two sample t-test or something I, I think you'd be you'd, fi- you'd find it very difficult to to reject the hypothesis that you know he, he's scoring he's shooting roughly similar quality shots overall um but yeah the big difference is just where the goals really have come from Right. And I can see why we would want to look at this, because the truth is this whole leaf season, and we've done it on the podcast too, people are going to be trying to make playoff inferences from regular season evidence. We have too many months of a regular season building to a playoff that is going to be really where this season is determined for success or failure. You know, the Leafs are all about, do you get out of round one this year? And how far do you go if you do? And so the the natural question is going to be to keep looking at these results and say, okay, is there something here that proves it's going to be different next playoff time, or is it going to be the same? And it's just very hard to establish that, you know, to, to figure out whether we're seeing something that really is going to make a huge difference, because this team looks a lot like it did before with the changes that um, the third line is 
playing slower but successfully. Muzzin Hall are doing worse, and Jack Campbell is playing out of his mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm seeing more similarities and differences, including to Matthews. It's just worth remembering. Matthews was the best goal scorer in the league last season. Mm-hmm. You know, it was working quite well. It just failed at the worst possible time against Montreal. And we're trying to strike that balance between saying, okay, how much of that was what happened against Montreal, against Phil Deneau, and how much of that was just pucks didn't go in and Carey Price was on his game. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I don't think that it's crazy. And I, you know, I think it's even possible that Matthews is thinking along these lines. I don't think that he had a fun summer in terms of contemplating what went wrong. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when he's shown a determination to add elements to his game in previous off-seasons, including a one-timer. So it's worth wondering whether this is the case. It's just, it's possible that he's just kind of the same unicorn he's been up to now. Yeah, and that, that's, that's definitely where I would um, put my money on as of, as of right now. Now, there is the question of, like, he hasn't scored as much from distance. Has the wrist surgery impacted his shot from distance, and I, I don't know. Um, I think we don't have enough data to say. It still visually looks quite dangerous. He did score on it fairly recently. I think one of his goals, uh, who did he have the hat-trick against? That was, that was the avalanche, right? Like yeah. One of his goals was uh, a shot from distance, or that was against Jonas Johansson, so maybe that's only like 0.3 of a goal. <laughs> uh, everyone was so hard on poor Jonas Johansson just because he was, you know, bad. But, I mean, I thought that some of the goals were quite nice. Yes. There were, the, the one where you, the thing is, is that he got beat by an Austin Matthews style snipe mm-hmm. from Pierre Engvall. And then it's a bit like, okay, that, that And that Dermot goal was like, oh, sorry, maybe this is like our true bad take. On, on the broadcast, me and Katya mentioned, we're chatting about this. On the broadcast, they're like, you know, Jonas Johansson doesn't have a book on Travis Dermot, so maybe that makes it a bit harder. It's like, really? That, that's... <laughs> I, you don't have a book on the on the middle middle shot. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sorry. You shouldn't have a book on Travis Dermott. No one should. It's just like that should not be a thing that you think about. He should just be in the category with defensemen shooting at you. Um, no, it was a one timer. I like it was off a pass. It was not. You know, it wasn't like he was just standing still and he yeah. stepped into it like an '80s guy. Yeah, but, but still. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember when he got traded to the Avalanche and it was from Buffalo? It was uh, John Vogel. Yeah, he had that tweet of, like, this is literally the worst goalie I've ever... And it's yeah. just so weird, so random, because, like, I don't know, John Vogel's, like, a very professional beat writer in most, con- yeah, most he- contexts. And he's just like, <laughs> fuck this guy in particular. Yeah, he was very explicit. He was like, this is the worst goalie I've ever seen. He does not... St- no, he does not stop shots in practice or in games. And I'm like, well, those are the two times. So <laughs> that's pretty discouraging. Anyway... Mm-hmm admittedly nothing that we saw in the avalanche game would discourage us from believing mr vogel yes <laughs> <laughs> so he's he might be right but, yeah yeah um but yeah i mean in general so this is something to keep our eyes on with 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 matthews but i think in this case it is more so just that he's shooting from where he normally shoots from and mm-hmm. we, we've had sort of an asymmetric result in which pucks have gone in I, I will say this, you know, I I worry about everything at about like a three out of ten level, just out of personality. So it's mm-hmm. like, you know, I'm obviously concerned about Matthews having wrist surgery and everything. I think he's totally fine. Yeah. Like that like my current impression is this guy is a top goal scorer in the world and he had a brief shooting slump and it's not a concern because Right. He has like goals in five straight or something like that. And Yeah, he's been on fire again. And like he's just, you know, He's the best player on the team again, I think. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And I think by the end of the year, he'll be kind of down ballot on some on some heart nomination on like some heart ballots again. I don't think he's gonna win it because you know Ovechkin and Drysaitel and McDavid have like absurd leads. Yeah, but the, the, it'll be McDavid unless he and Drysaitel vote split. I, the, and but Drysaitel has twenty like twenty goals in twenty games or something absurd like that. Like, he's been insane. Yeah. yeah, like he he's projected it like he's gonna flirt with sixty, which is kind of nuts. Yes. Um, yeah, and like the truth is, Drysaddle is obviously like a top ten player in the world. Like at least, 
in the vicinity. Certainly offensively, he's like top five. Mm-hmm. Um, but I get into that, okay, he's not even the best drummer in the Beatles kind of thing, where it's like, okay, but who's the guy on Edmonton? It's McDavid. And I don't think that that's in dispute. Yeah, but I mean, it's at some point, it's, it's not impossible. I mean, Lemieux and Yager were on the same team, and they're probably the two best players in the league at the time, right? Or, or yeah. two of the best, certainly two of the top five. Yeah, well, Gretzky, right? But, oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> Who? Who's that? Yeah, <laughs> some, some guy. But um, yeah, no, I mean, they, they were definitely two of the top five. Yeah, I'd so it's not, it's not insane to me that it's the same thing here. Yeah, maybe. And I mean, at a certain point, it's going to be like, okay, Dracidal and McDavid have 150 points, and the next guy is going to have like 110. Mm-hmm. You know, that'll be a striking gap. Um, and I like that the Capitals are now just like an institution, more or less, to get Alex Ovechkin the goals they're record. Good now this they're good They're doing well. Yeah, it's... I, yeah. It's every... I mean, the last... Since their cup run, yeah, and even including that year, they haven't actually been that like impressive a regular season team in, in a lot of ways. Like, they, they win a good amount because of good special teams and good shooting, but like they flamed out pretty early in the playoffs every year since. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people were just kind of like, okay, I mean, at some point they're going to just get worse, but they just look like a really good team now. And I, yeah. I, I haven't, yeah. I can't say I followed them closely enough to know exactly why that is. They've always been kind of strange in terms of their capacity to hang around. I hear uh, Kuznetsov is resurging a little bit. Yes. And so, I, I mean, I'm just looking, their team shooting percentage at five on five is like 10 and a half percent, which is like stunningly good. Yeah. Right. And I mean, the, the Caps are going to shoot well. Yeah, yeah. So you expect reasons, it to be above but... average, but 10.5% yeah. is like, it's the highest in the league um, by like half a percentage point, which is, which is a lot. Like the, the difference between yeah. them and, a, and league average shooting is, you know, quite large. So if, if there is some come down, they'll, they'll probably do a bit worse, obviously, but... You know, if there's a team you expect to, to be a good shooting team, it's, it's a team that has people like Ovechkin, people like Oshie. Um, Kuznetsov has a history of elevating team shooting percentage when he's on the ice. So Yeah. I, I mean, they still have... Like, you look at the top six forwards on that team, and you're like, yeah, still. And then yeah. the, the defense, I'm a little bit... I mean, there's John Carlson, and then it's a bit iffy after that, I think. Yeah. Oh, so I... I, um, I was reading, like, the athletic uh, power rankings, and... Uh, it's by, like, I think Sean Gentile and Dom Lechishin. And mm-hmm. Sean, at one point, was like, you know, imagine if uh, Ovechkin had this version of Evgeny Kuznetsov through like, his, his real prime. And Dom very rightly pointed out, it's like, he had Nick Backstrom. The disrespect to Nick Backstrom <laughs> for a player of his caliber, because yeah. he was a good He's playmaker, a good man. Nick, Nick Backstrom has had as good or probably better, a better career than John Tavares. And that's I'd, I'd say so. Yeah. yeah, and that's not a shot at John Tavares at all, who's like you know borderline Hall of Famer. But like Nick Backstrom is really fucking good. Yeah, yeah, he's terrific. Is is he triple gold? Um, He'll have you know what, you know, if he I, won if he if he was on the Swedish team in two thousand six, then he would have been. But otherwise, yeah, he might have been too young to to, to make that. But yeah, me, but he has you know the cup. He has the world championship. Yeah. Um, Wait, is is triple gold the the world championship or uh, world juniors? Oh, I always thought it was a uh, cup world championship. It would make more that. sense. Yeah, because they're, they're the adult ones. I mean, if you win the world juniors in your year, great. Yeah. Um, no, he he, did, it, he didn't play in the in the twenty in the okay. two thousand six Winter Olympics. Well, he, the point is, yeah. Nick Backstrom was terrific. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I I mean, actually, just talking about Matthews and his capacity to score like a lot of different ways. At his peak. As a young player, and so I'm thinking between 2006 and 2011-ish, mm-hmm. Ovechkin was like that. Yes. In terms of he was just the most unstoppable power forward and also the most accurate sniper in the league mm-hmm. as one person. Um, yeah. And I, now he's just doing that again because he feels like it. Yeah, I, I remember <laughs> Micah McCurdy pointing out that like the Ovechkin office thing, um, mm-hmm. at 5-on-5 five five anyways, right, even strength, is like more of a recent development than people remember. Yeah. Like, he was like a runaway freight train. He probably should have gotten suspensions for charging a couple of times, yes. actually. Because he threw some kind of crazy hits where he would take five steps into a guy. But he was just unstoppable um, at his best. And so, 
Yeah. I mean, it's kind of forgotten now also because Crosby surpassed him for greatest player in the world. Um, pretty unequivocally. But it was Ovechkin for like three or four years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's still trekking. So credit to him. He's a fantastic player. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, all right. So I, I don't have too much else to add. Uh, I think we've... Ha- we've, this is the most positive we can be. We only have 50 minutes of positivity a week between us. <laughs> so this is all you're getting. <laughs> we tried our best. Yeah. Um, no, but I mean, look, it's... it's Obviously, you know, we... And this is something we, we chatted about. It, it, it's untenable to have an entire regular season where you're just entirely fixated on the playoffs. It's, it's a recipe for misery. Mm-hmm. So to the best of our ability, we're going to just enjoy the ride. Yeah, we're going to try and roll with it. I have realized recently and this is mostly anecdotal but i've heard it from enough people to suspect it we do have an audience of people who like to listen to us after something goes very badly for the leafs oh, and we... that's our sort of out of town fan base oh, and then yeah, the, the I... leaf people like to hear from us after things have gone well yeah <laughs> um so i don't know about that but anyway right now it's about as i'm about as optimistic as i could be about this team it's going to be a tough first round matchup anyway you slice it but Mm -hmm. you know they're doing what they got to do if they can just stabilize that damn second pairing this team's in good shape yeah absolutely all right well um thank you everyone for listening you can catch all of mine and fuleman's work at pensionplanpuppets.com you can also follow us on twitter at rvnatfuleman thanks for listening we'll see you next week